0: Uh, I was having a gnarly day today. You ever have those days? Yeah, Yeah, some gnarly days. And uh, I got a text message from a friend. Uh, And so Beth just wanted to say hi. Thank you for the encouraging words. Um, And sometimes we need those. So when you know people and you think about them, they come to your mind. I encourage you: reach out, send a text, encourage them. You don't know that uh, what they may be going through. So thank you, Beth. And. Still mad that you moved away from Modesto. Um, But that's okay. Um, Other thing, one other announcement is, I know I talk a lot about coaching, talk a lot about right now we're in wrestling season. Tomorrow night, you can be a part of that wrestling season and we got a dual meet over at the high school and we start wrestling at 5.30, love for you to come and see your pastor in a little bit different light. Um, I still yell. It's just I don't yell encouraging biblical words. I just yell, "No! Don't do that! Don't reach back! Hands! Hands! Hands!" It's pretty much all I yell. It's uh, it's exciting, but you guys can come be a part of it. Love for you to be there and uh, cheer us on. Uh, some of our landing students actually are a part of that wrestling team, so love for you to come cheer them on. But uh, tonight, we had talked about confess. Exactly what we always know and love, right? And we're not talking about like the Dick Tracy sitting there and the light is shining on you and you're sweating and they're trying to pull stuff out of you. We're talking about what is it for that biblical confession. But uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe uh, more updated instead of referring to Dick Tracy. Some of you still don't know what Dick Tra- who Dick Tracy was. Um surprise I actually do um but uh, we got a video from the uh, I think eighties uh from goonies maybe there 's sound maybe there 's not, maybe not. Unmute the computer okay there it is. <laughs> In third grade, I cheated on my history exam. In fourth grade, I stole my Uncle to toupee and I glued it on my face when I played Moses in my Hebrew school play. In fifth grade, I knocked my sister Eadie down the stairs and I blamed it on the dog. But the worst thing I ever done, I mixed up all his fake puke at home. And then I went to this movie theater, hid the puke in my jacket, climbed up to the balcony, and then... And then I made a noise like this. And then I dumped it over the side. I had all the people in the audience. Then this was horrible. All the people started getting sick and throwing up all over each other. I never felt so bad in my entire life. I'm gonna like this kid life. <laughs> oh oh man so hey those of you sitting in the balcony don't get any ideas on that one um, but man that just it just reminds me of that and just what a humorous moment but we come to a place where in our recovery we've gone through step one we've stepped out of denial we've confessed we realize that we're powerless over our addiction and our compulsive behaviors right we realize that we're not God there's somebody out there that is God and we surrender to Jesus Christ we have done a moral inventory we've written everything down and now we come to this point of we have to tell somebody else we don't even like the things we wrote down on a piece of paper for ourselves and we got to confess this to God to ourselves and to somebody else ah. that's rough that is a rough thing I don't know what keeps you up at night I don't know what happens when you lay your head down on your pillow what comes to mind what 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 comes up in those moments um, if anything but the question i ask you is is your past still a stumbling block or has it become sacred you're like what does that mean great question we're going to look into that how is it still something that haunts you that freaks you out that you wake up with nightmares that, that kind of stuff Or is it something that God has been able to come into your life, penetrate your life, and be able to help remove that hurt and pain and that trauma of those things in your life? And so there's a quote by Alexander Smith, and this is what he says. He says, memory is man's greatest possession. And nothing else he is so rich. And nothing else he is so poor. Our memory is. It's crucial we have uh, my parents my dad was uh, towards the end of his life he was really struggling with uh, dementia and I remember having the same conversations every time I talked to him it was the same thing he'd ask the same questions I'd give similar to the same responses and what's interesting is I was the one getting frustrated my dad was so patient and calm, and I'm the one getting frustrated because how dare he ask me the same question over and over again. And that, uh, at times, can be us with, could you imagine God, how many times have we asked God the same question over and over again? And he's, I've given you your answer, you just don't like it, right? But we come to this point where we, we go through confess, and the see in confess is this, it's confess your shortcomings, resentments, and sin. This is not about others, this is not about other people, this is about you sharing what you've done, your shortcomings, your sins, your stuff in your life, your junk. It's not about the other people, they did this, they did this, they did this. I think sometimes in the church world, I grew up in the church so I'm familiar with the church world, in the church world, uh, what I find is we like to point fingers and "Well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Some of you have done that when you go to open share group you go at least I'm not that sick. <laughs> Whew. And yet Paul says he is the worst of all sinners. But this is about an opportunity to come clean. This is about an opportunity to air out everything that is inside of you that is rotting and that is festering inside of you. As a wrestling coach the unfortunate part of the sport, I don't know another sport that you have to get a groom check before you compete. In other words, you stand in front of a ref and they literally go, okay, put your arms up, they have you spin so they make sure that you have no diseases on you and then they check your fingernails to make sure you trimmed them and <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy and when you get impetigo and impetigo is contagious and it spreads and then you get ringworm and ringworm, And they're like, oh, no, that's just a pimple. I'm like, bro, that is not a pimple. That is straight up looks like a ring on your face. That is crazy. And uh, it's about the opportunity of coming clean. And we got to dig deep, and we've done that work, and we've got to clean all that out, and so we got to share those things. This is the final step after we clean out that wound to be able to confess that and share that. This is not one of those forced confessions that you saw on the TV. This is one of those things that it's a true confession. It's one that we are admitting that we are wrong and that we agree with the fact that our behavior is sin, that we agree with God in what his standard has been in our life and we are simply coming to the same place of acknowledging what God has said and acknowledging and moving forward in our life Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says this, people whoever, I'm sorry, people who cover over their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. That's a different translation, but it's the same thing. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy it's interesting when we are the one that's been offended by somebody and their sin we sure do love hold on to that but then when the same thing happens we do the same thing to somebody else we want them to immediately forgive us and let us and give us mercy over that i think there's a parable in scripture about that the king and the young and the guy that has the talents that's owed him well the c is confession shortcomings, resentments and sin so we're going to go confess those things We obey God's direction. Obey God's direction. And I find that sometimes when we are in sin and we haven't confessed these things, we are very much like Jonah where we have dug our heels in, he's told us something to do, and we go, uh, no. And we go the other direction. If you're not familiar with the Bible, there's a guy in the Old Testament that is named Jonah. And God tells him to go to Nineveh. But he decides, no, I'm going to go get on a boat and go as far away from Nineveh as I possibly can. So he gets on this boat and they go out to sea. And when they're on the sea, the storms come, it's rocky. And uh, they thought, well, man, there's somebody that's causing this curse to happen or this thing to happen. And so who could it be? And they start throwing everything else off the boats and they're going to cast lots to find out who it is. And finally, Jonah goes, it's me and they throw him overboard. They're like, deuces, get out of here, bro. And they throw him overboard and he gets swallowed by a fish. Whoo. First of all, I've touched the outside of the fish. Whoa. The inside of the fish. Whoa, come on, that's gnarly. I mean, I know we've all seen Pinocchio and we've seen that that whole story. But that same idea of, man, we've, we've dug our feet in, we're going. We're in our addiction and we know God has asked us to stop and we're like, just one more time, God. Just one more time. One more hit, one more drink, one more look at the porn, one more affair, one more time, just one more. Instead of turning and obeying God and so this confession is obeying God's direction in our life. It's Finally, going, okay, this is the direction you want me to go. I am going to do that. I'm going to trust the process that the process of this confession is going to help with the healing of my life. And so we do that, we obey that. Confession restores our relationship with Jesus Christ, even. Our sin has caused separation from Christ, from God. But when we confess, it restores that relationship. I've got a five-year-old son. His name is Boaz. He's got the best, best mullet in town. That's all I'm saying. It rocks. But this kid, I think, has a combination of all four of my other kids together in one. He is stubborn, and he's funny, and he's, oh my gosh. But he will stick out his tongue, and he'll go... And my wife doesn't like that. Christine doesn't like that. So she'll say, Boaz, stop, don't do that. And he's like me in the fact he loves that last word. And so finally I'll, st- I'll speak up and I'll say, Boaz, don't do it. If you do it one more time, we're gonna have to wash your mouth out with soap or we're gonna have to put you in time out or we're gonna have to give you a spanking. And he's like. <laughs> 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 and I- dude. What are you doing? Oh, is that not us when it comes to God? But it's that I'm so frustrated. But when he finally obeys, that restores my relationship with him. But when he continues to be defiant, that's so frustrating at times. And the same thing with us and God. How am I to obey Jesus if I have... uh, If I have a hindered relationship with other people, with God, how am I supposed to have a good relationship when I'm unwilling to do what it takes to make things on this earth flat? How do we come in here on a Tuesday night, sit down in our seats, and worship Christ when we know that the relationships outside of these doors are torn apart, partly by our doings? mainly by our doings. We need to do the work to restore those, and we are. We are, if we're obeying God's direction. James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. God wants us to be healed. This is part of his process in our life, is going through that. And I know that's just a small portion of this, but those of us that are sick and I don't know but I've never met anybody in recovery that's not sick. We go to our elders, the leaders in the church and we have them lay hands on us and pray for us so that we may be healed and part of that process is the confession of our sins. The end is this is no more guilt. No more guilt we get a chance to step out of shame. See, there's this criminal up on a cross next to Jesus. And one's, there's actually two, one is mocking him, the other one mocks him for a little bit and then comes to his senses and realizes that that is the savior that's hanging up right there, that is Jesus Christ, hanging on that cross. He says, man, I want to be with you. And Jesus like this says, you'll be with me in paradise. He takes that, Jesus takes that place of shame in our life when he hung on that cross and he said, you'll be with me in paradise. He took all of our sins, all of our junk, all of our stuff and he died on the cross and he took our place of shame that guilt that you sense, that shame that you feel, he takes that upon himself. See, the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is I've done something wrong. Shame is I am a bad person. I am wrong. But we have to step out of that and start living to follow after God. And when we confess, it removes that guilt and shame. You think that I remember the first time, I didn't even introduce myself tonight now that I mention this. I'm Scott, grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I'm in recovery for sex addiction. Hey, I remember the first time I shared that from the stage at Celebrate Recovery and I was freaked out. And probably for the first few years, everybody would go, can you say that? I did. Now I just get up here and I just, I can rattle it off. I even forget about it. But those first couple times, man, there was shame, there was guilt. And the more I get into confession, the more I share that, I, it's okay. It's okay. We have to stop rear view living. I drive, do you I hope you drive. Maybe you don't, maybe you ride the bus, but when I was learning to drive, my my dad taught me, hey, you look out the big windshield, right? That's like where you're seeing the road where you're going. And you got three different Rear view mirrors you got going on. You got your side, two side mirrors, you got one up there. And he's like, You look forward for a little bit, you look over here, and you go back forward, then maybe you look over here, and then you go back forward, and maybe you look up here, because you always got to make sure those cops aren't following you. Um, I'm just kidding. But seriously, there's only moments where I'm taking a glance at that rear view to make sure everything's good. If I drive the whole time looking in that rear view, I'm not going to see the guy that hit his brakes in front of me at the stoplight, and I'm going to plow into the back of him. It's not going to be a good ending to that day. We have to stop staring at our rear view, letting this bog us down, and we've got to start looking forward. And we do that through confession. See, we love to hold, our, hold people to what they have done. We love to, and we call it Accountability. But we hate to forgive them and let them go of it. Especially when it comes to marriages. We keep track. We write those things down on the mental tablet of our brain. And when they do it again, boom. Or when that argument happens, well, you did this, ha. And we're talking about this. But why are all of a sudden this stuff being brought up? We're talking about this. We're talking about... The fact that I left the toilet seat up again, right? And you're bringing up the fact that I used to cuss or I used to look at porn or I used to cause hurt and pain in some other way. We love to hold on to those things and Romans 8, 1 talks about that. Do you believe these words where it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord? Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That's when you become a believer in Jesus Christ. You are no longer condemned to the sin that you had done. Which is what I was talking about by the fact that Jesus held those things on the cross for us. There's no condemnation. It goes on further, or actually earlier in Romans 3, 23, and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Everybody sins. Everybody has fallen short. Nobody meets that mark of perfection. We have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. First John chapter four, verse 18 says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I get it. Fear ruled my life for a lot of years. But when we go through those steps, when we do those things, we get to a place where the con is over, and now we can move forward. The lie is over now. I can stop living that lie, and I can live in the truth. So we move on with the last few moments of our time together in this on the fest aspect, and that is this, that we get to face the truth. Face the truth. That means from here out, I can live in honesty, honesty and I can build up integrity in my life. All the addicts in here, I'm going to guess all the addicts. This is my last time, I swear. Maybe you've said those words before. But now that we start to do this process, we can start to live with integrity. That means every single day that I haven't done that behavior I said was my last time, I'm starting to build up integrity, resilience, and live in truth instead of living in those lies, the past ways. The thing is, is when I am able to do that, people get to receive me for who I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I am who I am, and, and that doesn't excuse my behavior. It's just a, wherever you see me is gonna be me. No, I get I'm more animated up here, but if, and if you saw me in my house, yeah, I wouldn't be as animated, but I'm still Scott. I'm still the same guy, stubborn, evasive, Those character defects I continuously pray that God would remove. John chapter eight, verse 12 says this. Jesus said to the people, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. We follow after him and he has a moment to guide us and direct us through that darkness and through all that times." of how do I deal with this fact that I might relapse? How do I start to get that resilience to resist that temptation and move forward? When we confess, we're able to ease the pain of our life, we're able to take that pain that we've been holding on to, that thing that we've been saying, I will never tell anybody this thing ever. I'm going to my grave with this thing. And when we're able to do that, we are able to, when we share that with somebody else, it eases that pain because that guilt and shame has been removed. There's a phrase that we use, we're only as sick as our secrets. We're only as sick as our secrets. What secrets have you been holding on to? When I share, I divide the pain and the shame away and I'm able to push through. Psalm 32 verse three through five says this, when I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me, and my guilt is gone. I don't know if you've been there. I have been in that spot. That's King David, and I was there. I remember the sickness. I remember how horrible I felt. And moving through that confession and doing the confession allowed me to move forward in my life. The first S and confess is stop the blame. Genesis chapter 3. From the beginning, we love to point fingers at each other. 312 says this the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I it was her. And I ate it. It was her. And the female, what does she say? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. It was the serpent, God. We love to point the fingers at anybody but ourselves. Growing up in our neighborhood, we had a pretty cool neighborhood and we had this uh, neighborhood mom and all the kids would go play and we were always outside playing wiffle ball, football, uh, swimming. We'd go inside, play Monopoly, (laughs) (laughs) right? Risk. We'd do all those games that were just like long and forever, but we would play them and we'd have a, a blast. And When that happens, the mom at some point has to kind of discipline people because they get rambunctious and stuff and there things would happen. And my phrase and I was called, she gave everyone a nickname and my nickname was not me because anytime something happened, it wasn't me, not me, not me. I don't know who it was, but it wasn't me. And uh, that's how I've lived and and we gotta stop pointing blame at other people. Why control you because you do this? I check this out because you won't do this. I wouldn't drink if you didn't do this. Or if you did this, then I wouldn't have to do this. We love to point that out, and we love to play the what ifs. But when we blame others, when we live in secrecy, we live in isolation, and isolation has lasted too long been talking to a guy that moved away and he has been isolated too long and he's finally getting back into meetings and he's finally finding the fellowship that happens in the rooms of recovery he's starting to get healthy again matthew 7 verse 3 says this and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye How can you think of saying let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Spouses of an addict that you're here to support them, so grateful you are. Let me encourage you, work on your recovery, Work on going through a step study. Take an opportunity to dive into your life and let God be in charge of the other person. Addicts, work on your stuff. Don't try to control others. Don't let your lack of control of others be the thing that drives you to drink or to use again. Because, man, sometimes that log is just blinding you. It is just there. We've got to be able to remove that before we can get the speck out of our brother's eye. The last S is this, is we get to start accepting God. In the big book of AA, it says acceptance is the solution to our problems today, right? Acceptance is huge in our recovery, Accepting God and his direction, accepting God and what he has to offer is huge. And at some point, we have to start to accept God's forgiveness. We have to accept the fact that God has forgiven you. God has forgiven me. And when we carry on that shame, God has already removed that backpack of shame from all the stuff that we've done and we are like, Oh, God, you forgot. Here, hold on, let me grab this and put it back on. We put it back on and we like to carry that around and sometimes we wear that as a badge of honor. And we gotta be able to accept God's forgiveness and we gotta be able to accept that that God has given us grace. He has given us grace. It doesn't condone our behavior. It doesn't say that your behavior's been okay. He simply is extending grace and says, I know what you've done, child, and I love you. Anyhow, and that's where we have to live, accepting that. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 19 says this, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God has, through Jesus, has shown us the reconciliation process and how now we as believers need to, Represent that and do that same thing, which means we need to forgive others. Forgive others. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, "But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That we would be able to understand that God's grace is sufficient for us. That God's grace is good enough to cover even our sin. You know that one that you don't think God can forgive you because you can't forgive yourself? That we would be able to accept that God has forgiven us. That he has that power and that and that weakness, which is part of why we share, hey, I'm Scott, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm in recovery from Sex addiction, you think it brings me great joy to go, hey, I'm a sex addict, woo! Nope, it doesn't, and I don't know if you feel the same way of going, hey, I'm an an alcoholic or I'm a drug addict, but that we're able to boast in the fact that, you know what, I am in recovery for sex addiction, but look what God has done in my life. Look how God has changed me and transformed me and uses me. And yes, this is my weakness, but and you're right now in the same spot I was when I first started. But there is hope that you one day can get here. So follow me as I follow Christ. This is what we do in recovery. I want you guys stand. We'll close with the Serenity Prayer. Oh, wait. Go back to the question. Yeah, focus question. What positive changes have happened in your life due to sharing your inventory? Which do you find more difficult confessing to God yourself or to someone you trust and why great question have fun with that my first time sharing was in Starbucks so hopefully yours wasn't like that. But here we go. Let's pray God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference.